welcome to the Type Pod. I'm Anitra Nottingham, former book designer, former typography teacher, former co-chair of a graphic design school. I'm now a learning experience designer, but I'm a type nerd and I always will be. I'm Jason Phillips, formerly a book designer and typography teacher. I'm a sometime illustrator and artist, but in my career, I've never strayed far from type and it'll always have a place in my heart. We are whipped into shape by our producer Inga Mewburn, professor at the Australian National University and editor of the Thesis Whisperer blog. We're type designers who went to the same design school, but a couple of years apart. Wait, are we type designers? We're not type designers. Oh, sorry. (laughs) We are designers who went to the same design school, but a couple of years apart. And it wasn't until we worked together at Oxford University Press, where we honed our type skills, that we became friends and developed a mutual hatred of the typeface Gaudi, all of which still burns strong 25 years later. Each episode, we deep dive into one typeface, finding out the sometimes surprising history behind the designer and the designer. We admire or not its anatomy, ponder its uses and cultural impact, and then we ignore all of that and talk about our feelings. This episode, we're going to talk about Gaudi. Now, given our hashtag on the socials is hashtag... We hate Gaudi. Fair warning, we, or at least I, have feelings. We had a bit of an argument about this. It's really more well, like a argument's script. argument's a strong term. <laughs> we debated whether it should be a script or a transcript. We had a robust discussion. Yeah, we're going to call it, a, <laughs> we're just going to call it like emphasis on the script. So transcript yeah. is available set in Gaudi, which yep. everyone can download from the show notes. Jason, you had to do this. Because I just can't face it. So, Jason, you'd better give us some yes. background before we start sticking the boot in. <laughs> I believe we're finally coming to America, my adopted homeland, yes. this episode. Exactly. So, tell yep. us, Jason, who designed Gaudi, when, and why? Okay. So, Gaudi was designed by Frederick W. Gaudi. And no K, people. Apparently, he once said, Someday I'll design a typeface without a K in it and let's see the bastards misspell my name. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps a bit of a hang-up there, but anyway. (laughs) So Frederick, with a C, was an American and he was born in 1865 in Bloomington, Illinois. In his 30s, after working as a bookkeeper and advertising designer, he basically reinvented himself as a freelance type designer. He founded his own Chicago-based print company, Booklet Press, and also taught at the short-lived but influential Frank Holmes School of Illustration, an institute that prided itself on the practical application of art and design, preparing students for the quote-unquote real world. So I <laughs> it's guess a kind of TAFE college? Yeah, it's probably more like a private design college, somewhat akin to Shillington, if you're familiar with that school, which is it has branches in Melbourne and Birmingham and, and New York, I believe. Schools like this okay. popped up in America in the 20th century. They usually started as an illustration school because there was still a lot of hand lettering and handwork. And in fact, AAU, where I used to work, it actually started this way as a yeah. design school by someone who illustrated for Sunset Magazine, which is still around, fun fact. They're often started by a designer who wants to get back to, quote, practical tool training, unquote. And I often suspect it's just because they're very tired of having to teach juniors how to do everything. Anyway, we're talking about Gaudi. Yeah, yes, yes, we Let's get back to that. Okay. In 1903, Gaudi co-founded The Village Press, which burned to the ground five years later. So he started over with The Village Letter Foundry and was commissioned by the American Type Founders Company, or ATC, to design Gaudi Old Style around 1915. Several variations followed, some created by other designers, and although these were quite lucrative for ATC, Gaudi himself received no royalties, having sold his original design for $1,500. And this is one reason his relationship with ATC soured. Damn, he really got ripped off. That's <laughs> yes, bad. he did. I mean, that was probably a lot of money back then. But <laughs> it's like, probably a lot, whole... of, but but, but it no, does it seem be. like yeah. You look back at it and think, yeah, I probably should have done a better deal for myself. So Gaudi was appointed art advisor to Lanston Monotype in 1920, and then in 1927 he became vice president to the Continental Type Founders Association, which distributed most of his typefaces. He died at home in 1947. Sad, but. Said home was a converted watermill on the Hudson River in New York, which sounds pretty amazing. 
Can I just say what art advisor, like, is that something that you get paid lots of money for? Because I Googled his house. It's a nice house. Like, I put a little link yeah, there, Jason, I'm sure if it you is. want to have a little look. Yeah. It was called Deep Dean, which he named one of his other typefaces after his house, which, you know, as one does. But, like, ooh, art advisor. Is that, like, some <laughs> secret money stream? Or is it just that all these type Maybe. designers, like, like Baskerville? I, mean, I guess I guess Baskerville made his own money. But, you know, it's, I get a sniff yep. of, you know... Hashtag. Uh, well, maybe maybe there are well, you know secret handshakes, backroom deals. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I just I, I want to be an art advisor. I think that sounds good. <clears throat> well, I'll just advise you. No, that art is shit. <laughs> no, that art is good. No, and here's my that invoice. art my five year old could do. You know. And here's my invoice for the price of a house in Turek. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, you live in a house in Turek. Sorry. It's not in Turek. Technically, it's in Paran, okay? All right, okay. I think it's on the boundary of Armadale. Say right, that as we much need as to you draw like, this, We all know. We may, maybe need where to your draw this is. back to. Can we get this one back on track, guys, please? <laughs> yes, okay. I'm just going to move on. Because in the book, <laughs> okay. Just My Type, Simon Garfield claims that Gowdy had a reputation for fast cars and girls. Now, I haven't been able to corroborate the fast cars and girls thing. I totally believe it, though. I think he was yeah. one of the fun designers. Like, apart okay. from Tibor Kelman, whose name I probably can't pronounce, I think he had all the best one-liners. Like, right. apparently he once said, all the old fellows stole our best ideas, which is what he used to tell his students. And I, so I right. stole that and used it heavily when I was a teacher. And he also apparently came up with that famous aphorism about type crime that a man who would letter space lowercase would steal sheep. Anitra, didn't you tell me once that steal is the family-friendly mm. version? Yeah, his choice was a little bit more NSFW, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, so I'll let you <coughs> fill in that. There's a little bit of Eric Gill vibes in that. I think <laughs> it's just a rumor. <laughs> we don't want to go back there. Well, this saying was, of course, the basis of Eric Spickerman's useful type handbook, Stop Stealing Sheep, of and course. which Bringhurst said should be updated to. Women who would let a space lowercase would steal sheep too, which thank you, Bringhurst, one of the many reasons we love him. Yeah. Well, and speaking of women, it must be said that Gowdy relied heavily on and collaborated with his wife, Bertha, who was an accomplished typesetter in her own right. But everyone seems to agree that the short, plump exterior of the man didn't match the person within. So make of that what you will. Look, I think short, plump men often get the, you know, like they can be very charming. And people oh, always I'm seem sure surprised. It's like, it's like Pete yeah. Davison. Well, he's not that he's short and plump, but he got Kim Kardashian. Everyone's like, yeah. how did that happen? Oh. Maybe he just it's just a, I mean, you look, at, <clears throat> you look at photos of Fred Gowdy and... Yeah, all right, think, yeah. Okay, but it's just he kind of looks fairly innocuous. So it just struck me as... You know, hard to reconcile so that ones, image. Jason. He just looked, yeah, with, with this fast cars jazz persona kind of thing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, we were t- I'd literally never heard of Bertha, you know, shocking. Shocking. A woman shocking. left out of graphic design, great man history. So excuse me <laughs> while I Google her, Jason. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll move on. I mentioned the fire that destroyed his first workshop in 1908, but there was another equally devastating fire that ruined his second workshop in 1939. So clearly Gowdy was someone determined to bounce back from adversity. And I think he deserves some kudos for that. Producer note here, like why, why would type stores burn? Like what's flammable? Is it all this hot metal type dipping? Yeah, probably would have been. Yeah. And chemicals and stuff like that. Yeah, they're, they're, they were, they're intensely industrial. You know, industrial fires can start in all sorts of ways. But yeah. there's also a lot of paper hanging a, around. Maybe these are suspicious fires <laughs> and the insurance was, was what enabled him to buy the swanky house Deep Dean, a former <laughs> watermill on the Hudson River. I don't know. I, just, I didn't sort of think beyond the fact that it's sad that both his workshops burnt down. I hadn't gone into <laughs> maybe, the mentally maybe not. into the kind of mechanics of what happened. <laughs> maybe, maybe before we get sued by Gowdy's descendants that for, sure. for implying that he had some sort of history. I will say his output of type designs is pretty phenomenal. 123 typefaces by his own record. And he also found time to publish 59 works. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad run, but surfacing from Google. And surprisingly, yeah. there's a Wikipedia page about Bertha, Bertha Matilda Sprinks Gowdy, and says that right. she was quite a talented compositor 
who worked in yep. and then ran the Village Press for a sneaky 32 years. So maybe we should say <laughs> they bounced back. They bounced. Well, there you go. Time Magazine called her the world's ablest woman printer. And uh-huh. I'm starting to see how maybe he designed 123 typefaces, Jason. Can we just say printer? We don't say man printer. Thank you, Ally. Thank <laughs> You're you. welcome. So we'll say he and Bertha and probably all their lowly paid apprentices too, while we're at it, published the 59 works. Sorry, producer note again. He designed 123 typefaces. What's the difference between typefaces and works? The works are like oh, the books, uh, right? The but yeah, so he wrote he wrote theses and history books and stuff like that about type design and typefaces and things like that. He's actually quite academic as well. He wrote fifty nine books on type design. And yeah, typeface. I mean they're not all and designed one hundred twenty three yeah, typefaces. <clears throat> yeah, wow, yeah. he was like With a his super wife. nerd. And yeah, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. He and didn't yet, do all had, that. Also, sorry, also just, had time. Just before we carry <laughs> before we carry on, and I'll step out. I'm really having a hard time understanding the hate. I'm just saying that on behalf of the listeners. <laughs> oh, don't we'll, worry. We'll, we'll get now. to we, it. Uh, okay. we, will get, right. we will get to that. But it's you okay. just think, this guy's busy designing typefaces, writing works, and apparently still has time to chase skirt and <laughs> buy cars. <laughs> Drive fast and, cars, yes. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, okay. We, we will get to the reason. I'm just, to, calling, I'm just calling bullshit on the he did all that because... Clearly yeah, oh, he and, did not. And oh, look, I know there absolutely. was less television back then and no Netflix, but still, <laughs> come oh. on. I mean, yeah. I mean, if Bertha got ignored in all of this history, maybe that's okay because apparently Fred named his hundredth typeface after her, Bertham, <laughs> which is not a nice right. name and it's his hundredth no. typeface. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. I think she needs her own episode, Jason. So bit we'll of, get back of, to that in our next planning meeting. A bit meeting. of recognition earlier on, you reckon? Yes. Yes. yes, he was he was chasing women and fast cars and he was married to this woman for like what 32 plus years? Like Yeah, well, like, he was yeah. doing all of that at the same time. I'm just saying there's a lot of multitasking going on and not all of it could. Clearly. That's all. No, no, no. Well, yeah, you're right. I look okay. But whole episode gonna, Jason, we'll get back to yeah, it. Yeah. Well, we could yeah. it sounds like we could do a whole episode on their marriage, but we're just going to talk about <laughs> This, we're just getting back to a little historical introduction to the typeface, <laughs> and then so we can move on. All right, Fred Gowdy rarely turned down a speaking engagement or an opportunity to share his love of the letter form, which is fair enough when mm-hmm. you're a freelancer yeah. who relies on self promotion. He also True. often unsuccessfully and at great personal cost sued to protect the licensing of his type designs. Now, this seems an appropriate point to talk briefly about font piracy and theft. I deny everything. I would never have had a computer full of pirated typefaces. Right. Well, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, when type foundries operated with cast metal type, outright theft was probably less of a problem. You'd be right. lugging around cases of metal pieces for starters. So, But although the practice of taking someone else's designs once they'd become public and refashioning them and redeveloping them more or less according to the individual was a common practice. Yeah, and pl- like plenty of type designs were developed as a revival, right? Like we've yep. talked about the way Stanley Morrison based Times New Roman on an existing typeface plantain. And fun fact, apparently Stanley right. Morrison didn't like Frank- Fred Gowdy all that much. Sorry, <laughs> Frederick with a C, right. Gowdy all that <laughs> yep. much. He once wrote to a friend that he was glad that Times New Roman didn't look as if it has been designed by somebody in particular, Mr. Gowdy, for instance. Ouch, Ooh, bitch. Ouch. Wow. Okay. Burn. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, no, don't say burn. You know, we've, we've lost <laughs> yeah, two, no, don't two say workshops. Not around, okay. not around Gowdy. <laughs> yeah, not around the workshop. Bad duty. Okay. That's bad luck. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, getting back to piracy. So once yes, typefaces yes. became digitised and desktop publishing took hold, Things got really complicated. Part of the problem, I think, is that typefaces are such a utilitarian form of design. I mean, they Mm. come preloaded onto every computer and most people figure, well, I bought the device, so I get to do what I want with the typefaces as well. Yeah, and that whole idea of, hey, it's on the internet, should be free. Exactly. But 
every one of those typefaces was designed by someone or someone holds mm-hmm. the distribution rights to them. So they're governed by laws regarding their use and misuse, the same as any other product. Yeah. To get technical, legally speaking, for a moment, a typeface is a set of letters, numbers and symbols that share a consistent look. A font is the software or the part of the program that sends a signal to your keyboard to display each character in a certain way. A typeface is subject to copyright, whereas a font is protected by licensing, which is an interesting distinction. Licensing generally covers issues such as how many users have access to the font and under what circumstances. When the small studio I worked for after I left Oxford University Press decided to ditch all their old fonts and invest in a proper font library with all the attached licensing. This was in the Mm. 90s when people just accumulated digital typefaces from all sorts of sources without really thinking too much about it. Except for me, I would never have done that. <laughs> this was a poor policy in many ways, not the least being the number of times you came up against software conflicts from differently named versions of the same fonts. I'd like to think That's that things true. are better policed now, but design firms and film houses and even printers around that time began to purge their font suitcases en masse to avoid potential prosecution from type foundries who were beginning to crack down on licensing regulations. Yeah. And there have been some expensive lawsuits. NBC Universal, the film and television network, has been sued three times since 2009 for amounts ranging from $1.5 to $3.5 million over licensing breaches, such as when fonts used on Harry Potter merchandising were determined to have been supported only for digital use. They're working on big name properties, right? Like you'd think that they'd They'd have people that would worry about that sort of thing. Well, but it's so they've got utilitarian. Whole legal so... departments, you assume. But, yeah, you, you would know. assume that they would think about that. Like, you can't have a Coke bottle without, like, blurring out the logo, but just yeah. slap your typeface on anything. Are these the same people that used, uh, what was it, for Avatar, the movie, Papyrus? Like, oh, pos- that typeface yeah. that they use. It's probably yep. the same people. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that, that could be one of the other ones they got too. But anyway, but, <laughs> they you been. know, okay, so there's there's been these lawsuits. I contrast that with the fact that Microsoft famously created Arial, which is a typeface found on every PC and is virtually identical to Helvetica in every way because they didn't want to pay the licensing fees for Helvetica and they got away with it. Yeah, well, you know, when you're in a big organisation and you decree that Helvetica knew is your brand typeface, then you probably should have a full version of that typeface so all your employees can use it and wouldn't have to say use, say, Ariel, for instance, because they, for some reason, haven't been given the full set of Helvetica can you. Right. And, of course, that's a totally theoretical example, but that could happen. Oh, of course, of course. Anyway, returning to who designed Gaudi Old Style and actually linking back to our episode on Times New Roman, Fred Gaudi's life's spans roughly the same time frame as Stanley Morrison, but 20 years mm. in advance. So covering an incredible amount of change on many levels. I mean, when you live to 82, you see a lot of shit thrown down. I mean, when you think right. about it, so much that we take for granted, cars, aeroplanes, mm. the concept yeah. of skyscrapers, or even medical mm. innovations like antibiotics, were inventions that Fred Gowdy witnessed for the first time. Yeah, look. I can see why he complained that he was left behind at the end of his career because actually he was around for a long time and his sensibility wasn't ever really modern from the get-go, right? Like Dwiggins, um, who we'll talk about in future podcasts, I'm sure, who was his student, said that his work did lack a certain snap and acidity. He was probably writing to bloody... Yeah, probably Stanley Morrison and he were writing little bitchy texts back and forth about Gaudi. But, you know, he, he did age as well as the Century of San Serra. So, you know, it was kind of like he started in the past and he went through this time of immense change. And, yeah. you know, he did maybe get a little left behind. But his, his aesthetic was firmly rooted in the past. In that episode about um, Times New Roman, we also talked about hot metal typesetting. But another technological advancement that Gaudi took advantage of was pantograph engraving, which basically made cutting the matrices for letters easier and quicker and produced a much cleaner result. A pantograph, which I don't think I've ever called them that, is one of those sort of wooden things where you put the pen in one bit and then you trace over something and there's a pen on a longer arm that scales up what you trace or draw. And I really loved those when I was a kid. (laughs) 
That's probably why I wanted to be a designer, honestly. I always credit my dad's offhand comment that I seem to like doing the cover pages on my school assignments more than actually writing my school assignments and I might (laughs) want to consider a career in the graphic arts and I was like, what's that? But really, I think it dates back to like those, using those sort of mechanical type of things to do art that wasn't really art, right? Like they're fun to play with. If you haven't played with them, I recommend them. They're they're a good time. So for a bit of context, at the time of Gaudi, the typefaces release, which is 1915, Europe Mm -hmm. was enduring the upheaval of World War I. But on Gaudi, the man's home soil, the US Coast Guard uh, became a branch of the military. Mm -hmm. The National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, which is the predecessor to NASA, was founded. And And in an incident that now sounds all too familiar, in New York, a woman was arrested and imprisoned for ignoring health orders in the middle of a disease outbreak. She wasn't called Karen, (laughs) but she has gone down in history as Typhoid Mary. So many things to say about Typhoid Mary now, right? Like, (laughs) have you ever read the whole history of her? Like, she... She had to work. Well, like they kept on saying, you can't work. And she's like, I know I keep giving people typhoid, but no one's giving me the doll. So yeah. got to work. And then they'd go, stop working. And she'd be like, no. And anyway, um, <clears throat> interesting time. So, similar so to just completely, time. completely unjustified my little dig at her <laughs> for being a Karen. <laughs> Although <That's... laughs> typhoid Karen would be kind of funny. <laughs> Mm, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> interesting to think that that was happening when this typeface was invented, though. Yeah, like, absolutely. Similar yeah. times in a way. Um, yeah. Well, okay, that seems like a good segue into our next section, anatomy, where we briefly check out the body of our typeface for this episode. And just to remind our listeners, we refer to type anatomy because various strokes of different letters are named after body parts. So, for example, the upward diagonal stroke of a K is called an arm and the downward diagonal stroke is called the leg. So... Jason, what do we know about Gaudi's body? Gaudi the typeface is classified as old style. Listeners, you may remember from the last episode about Baskerville, we talked about the Vox classification system at length. But briefly, it's just a means of categorizing typefaces based on shared characteristics. So as the name Mm -hmm. suggests, Gaudi the typeface is classified as old style. But within that broader grouping, it's identified as a Geralda which is another one of those type design portmanteaus, this time commemorating Claude Garamond and Aldus Minutius, which is sometimes also referred to as Aldines for only Minutius fans. Geraldas feature a lowercase e with a horizontal crossbar and slightly more contrast between the thick and thin strokes than their humanist cousins, which also tend to have an angled crossbar on the e. Gaudi was heavily influenced by the arts and crafts movement that harked back to a medieval aesthetic and honest hand craftsmanship championed by William Morris and others, which is pretty clear from his work. And sidebar, also from his choice of business names. I mean, does it get more ye olde worldy than adding the (laughs) word village to everything? Village press, village letter foundry. (laughs) Well, exactly. His work is old fashioned. Like I read a bio on hoewold.co, so H-O-W-O-L-D.co, odd kind of web link. Sounds very spammy. So I don't know, click on it (laughs) at your own risk. And they had a good quote on there from type designer Walter Tracy who described Gaudi as over fond of the E with a tilted centre. So it's an angled crossbar that's tilted up, which is very common in 15th century printing. And he felt added an unwanted restlessness to many of Gaudi's type designs. And can I just say, unwanted restlessness is a great phrase and it's useful. So many situations, I'm totally stealing it. (laughs) Okay. Well, supposedly all Gaudi's designs were drawn freehand without a straight edge or a pair of compasses or French curves, which is both kind of hard to believe and totally amazeballs. In the capitals, the very thin strokes vary in weight between letters and some of the serifs have this appearance of a slight curve or a dip in the middle, which adds to the hand-drawn mm. feel. Gaudi Old Style is one of those type designs we say has a true italic face, which is not just the Roman letters forced on a slant, which incidentally are called obliques. Because, mm. as Gaudi himself put it, some of the outstanding italics of the 16th century had little or no inclination and yet preserved their italic character. And that sense of oh, calligraphy yeah. is evoked 
by the tail of the capital Q and the almost diamond dots on the lowercase i and j. I hate those dots on the i and the j <laughs> so much. But incidentally, I thought I'm going to look it up and they're called tittles. Yep. Did you know that? It's a fun type nerd fact. I don't like Gaudi's tittles. And I'll point out that tittles is a word that can use up some low point tiles <laughs> in Scrabble. Can I just do another producer ask? Now I'm really confused about italics. I, I thought italics so was just when it lent down. Like, and now my whole brain is exploding because I want to know what's a true italic versus a fake one now. What fake so, news about okay. italics? What? <laughs> So, okay, so in the, Jason, in previ- okay, in previous episodes, I've I've made the point that that some typefaces, and they're usually sans serif ones. It just it just it's the same proportions. It's the same letter. It's just being put on a slant. Italics comes from. The, I thought that's it, what it. It basically means was. from Italy. And it refers to sort of like 15th century, 16th century Italian handwriting, which is on that characteristic slant. Okay, so that so it's, it just it's, basically it's used means... as an emphasis. <coughs> yeah, it's not. It's not like designed because we need a slant. It's just a different emphasis of the same typeface. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an it's an option, and, right? No, 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 you, you were go. explaining it so much better than me. Jason was talk. explaining oh. it very clearly. Like yeah, Jason, Jason, go. Let him finish. All right. Oh, so I was just going to say, so so serif typefaces like Baskerville, like Gaudiol face, they tend to use italics. And you look at the letter forms and they're much, and and they have a distinct character from the italic face versus the Roman face. So just the regular face. So they have like we need to very do different a whole characters. Like, yeah, well, we might have to. But one is it's Roman, basically... Roman, which is Italian, and then Italics, which is Italian. And I'm very confused now. And I think you're going to see why. Well, do you want to be more confused and, and perplexed by this? Is that I'm you not know... sure the listeners are going to follow us down this rabbit hole, but well, sure. Right. I think well, it does need its own right. episode because it is... It is, and actually, in our next episode, we might talk about it a little bit because the way that these things are developed is sometimes offset from the original typeface development itself, right? So they're, in a way, yeah. kind of different typefaces. But when you press the I button in your um, computer, what you're doing is just tilting it. Like, you're not always picking the character set that's italic. What? You're just smooshing it over to the right. Yeah. And this is what we used yeah. to tell our students off for all the time. It's like, don't just highlight a bit of text and press the I button, because now you've just done something really terrible. You so actually have you to highlight it now? like the actual That's I've been using italics wrong. Well, don't say you never get anything useful out of listening to this podcast, listener, or indeed who producer. Would dare, who mind would we've just blown. <laughs> who would dare say that? And look, I can see why Oxford used Gaudi as their corporate typeface now, right? Like it's got a right. real handcrafted italic feel. It's almost bouncy. And that E is too tilted. Like, it's almost like he goes overboard also. I mean, like, do you think he's bragging about not using French curves or other mechanical help to make letter forms? Like, he's, all right, let's just lay it out here. He's doing 123 typefaces. He's publishing all these books. (laughs) He's running around after women. And he has time to draw things freehand. Because, wow, like, you know, in that other episode, was it uh, Times New Roman, where we talked about someone being chosen because they had a lean and hard line hard to line. do? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think people appreciate how fucking difficult that is to do. Excuse my yep. French, but I'm serious. Yep. Like, you need hands as steady as a brain surgeon to do that kind of work. Like, mad respect if Absolutely. it is true. And also, thank God for computers. I would never have made it anywhere <laughs> in the business without them. And I'll also do a shout out to the Gaudi italic ampersand, which is one of the most riotous and beautiful examples of an ampersand you're ever likely to see. Look, it is wild. And despite my Gaudi-induced trauma, I'm totally here for that ampersand. Like, I would pick that out and just use that. It needs its own T-shirt. Well, actually, it often is. It's often used as a sort of feature ampersand in titles, for example. But... To, to anticipate yeah, true. a producer note here, I will explain that an ampersand is that character which often looks like the Arabic numeral eight with a little X growing out of the lower side. 
It's actually a ligature, which in typographic terms is when a frequently reoccurring letter pairings like ST mm -hmm. or FL are combined into a single glyph or character. It's a way of smoothing out the letter forms to avoid overlapping terminals or serifs. So an ampersand is a ligature of the letters E and T, which is the Latin for the word and. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I always knew that. But I didn't right. actually know that until I read that, that, Jason. So props for go. like deep type nerdery. Well, yeah. as we say, you learn a lot on this podcast. And further <laughs> really to that, do. because we like to dazzle our listeners with nerdy type facts, the reason go. it's called an ampersand and not the et symbol, for example, is that apparently it used to be the custom when reciting the alphabet to follow those letters which were also a word like A, or I mm -hmm. and O, with another Latin term per se, which means in and of itself. Yeah. It's common practice to include that et ligature or ET ligature as a sort of 27th letter. So the alphabet would end with X, Y, Z and per se and, which gradually morphed into ampersand. That. Ta-da! Fascinating. Such a useful factoid for your next dinner party, people. Although not the one that, you know, William Morris is not invited to my historical dinner party, so <laughs> I probably wouldn't use that factoid. He'd probably go, well, actually, I already knew, and can I tell knew you? That. Yeah. that is fascinating. <laughs> now to our feelings. Overall impression, best worst, features of Gaudi old style. This could get emotional, everyone. We're very <laughs> kind of... I actually think we're a little bit traumatised because our script here does not reveal any of our actual real feelings <laughs> about Gaudi. Um, we're going to talk about our overall impression, the best worst features of Gaudi old style, Jason, but we both hate it. Well, I know I hate it more than you, but we both, we both hate it. Yeah. And it is tied up with how we got to know each other. And I honestly can't that's, remember the first time no. that I turned to you and said, I, I hate Gaudi, but... You know when you start a job and, like, there's the onboarding, I don't think they called it onboarding back in 1996 or whatever it was, but the onboarding, <laughs> there's an official onboarding and then there's the unofficial onboarding yes. where you've been there for a little while and you turn to someone and go, WTF is going on yes. here with this. Yes. And that's when it and all think... comes out and then they go, oh. And <laughs> I've got a feeling that on the other side of what we had the classic kind of cubicles but kind of not and we had a little low yes. wall between the two of us do you remember that's and right. i get yes, the feeling yes, that at do. one point you turned around <laughs> and, and we're trying to like typeset one of those hideous brochures in gallery yes. which is just not for marketing not good for setting up small body copy and deb the lovely no. deb our boss at the time used to go oh can't you just like compress it a little bit and then we'd get really angry <laughs> at her and I, I think that you were trying to do that I, I'm just going to make up an origin story. That sounds about right to me that you turned no, over. Well, absolutely. This is just I really think, hard to yeah. work with. And it's... I went, let me tell you about Gaudi. I fucking hate that typeface. And then we were away <laughs> the races. I want to think that that's what happened, but I don't know. Uh, look, I think obviously, look, it's, it's a long time ago. A lot of stuff has happened in our lives and in our <laughs> relationship since then. But it sounds completely believable to me because I do remember we would often – because we were kind of facing, had our backs to each other, but we would several times in a day swing our chairs around and just look at each other <laughs> with a kind of what the fuck look, what the fuck just happened. <laughs> and I have no doubt in my mind that, that an early encounter of Gaudi Old Star was the, the trigger for that. So, and it's yeah, just, no, really. look, listeners, part of it is just that thing of, of being, as a designer, you know, you've, you've been, you get constrained in college a lot by assignments and by lecturers telling you what to do and how to do it. And your first couple of jobs is supposed to be the moment when you fly free and you get to flex your design <laughs> muscle and, and you use <laughs> your imagination. <laughs> and it, well, A, it's not true. And it's naive <laughs> to ever think that that was going to be the case. But also in that particular role, we, you were forced to just use this one typeface over and over and over again. And like for just, everything, though, everything. For everything. Like if you and wanted something just, a bit different, they're like, use the bold. And you're like, yeah. really? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like we had and two so to choose from that were mixed together. At the, at the time, you're, you're told to, you know, do something amazing, do, but, but use Gaudi. Do something <laughs> innovative, but use Gaudi. Do something different and then, and, from what you did last week, but use Gaudi. 
<laughs> and put it in and a box like, and make it scented. <laughs> and then, then and we just... come over and say, can I have it in a Starburst? And I just go, no, go away. I'll no. give you an oval. <laughs> I won't give you a Starburst. Um, like, yeah. I mean, seriously, so, like so, it was so limiting and so, so traumatising yes. that I think that you probably looked at me because Jason took my old job and I moved over to be a book cover designer, which meant that I only had to deal with Gaudi like on the spine or a on the imprint the page. Time. So, yeah. And so not but, – but Jason did but all Anisha the marketing knew exactly what I felt all the time. because – she had yes, just, did, you know, Jason. she had done this. So that's part, probably part of the bond. And look, in fairness to Gaudi, uh, probably a lot of our feelings about Gaudi are just projected onto it because <laughs> of our feelings about the job that we would we had both worked on. So, anyway. And look, let's face it, it's what we would call now a toxic work environment, to be honest. Yes. It was yeah, very a- absolutely. But patriarchal. That, that's very that's another episode in and of itself and we'll get Deb yeah look we're going to get Deb in we're going to get Deb in to actually verify to verify this and talk about her feelings as well because um yeah anyway (laughs) all feelings are valid anyway let's get back to our feelings get back to our feelings about yep and and what its best and worst features are and I will start off with one of its worst features which is it has comparatively short descenders which are the strokes on p's and q's Mm -hmm. and it gives the typeface well, I've got here a bit of a stumpy look, but it's very much a stumpy look. But in fairness to Fred Gowdy, that 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 was an alteration that was made to the design by the foundry, ATC, to allow for a tighter line setting. Gowdy himself hated that, and it was another reason why they parted ways. I have to say that. I, just as you were saying that, I have a visceral memory of like trying to fit more type into one of those bloody catalogs that we had to do and tightening yep. up the letting way more than, you know, my teachers would have said was okay when I was yes. in college. But you could do it because the letters are so stumpy that, that they're and not going to get sometimes it's a marvel like that the D it, so. wasn't crashing into that P. So, yeah. you know, ATC yeah. were kind of onto something. I think they knew what they're about. Do you know what I really hate about Gaudi? <laughs> Like I really, right. really hate the top of the the top of the letters are like they've got this this that, that dip. curve this unwanted restlessness yeah. again right <laughs> they've got this little sort of curve that makes it like if you've got a like I mean a friend of mine Hunter once said that a design teacher said to him that designers jobs were just lining things up so a lot of your job yeah. is just yeah. lining things up right and you get you have to line things up and it makes it impossible to figure out where the typeface baseline actually sort of sits. And I used to get, I mean, you do have a baseline. The computer gives you the baseline, right? So you're like, that's the baseline, but it never just looked right. So I used to just sit there and kind of go, is that sitting? Is that lining up? Is that not lining up? And I didn't, I don't think I trusted my eye at that point. So I was a very mathematical designer and actually lining things up is it's just as much about what it looks like as mathematically what it should do. But I think I was, I was just going to say, experience. It's, yeah, there's always that. And so I think between, it drove me more crazy than it should have. Put it that yes. way. There's always that struggle yeah. between being technically correct and being optically correct, which is yeah, yeah, know, and always go for optically correct. So anyway, like the stumpiness has a use, but who amongst us yeah. has not left a relationship for being stunted and for stunting us? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. So having talked about the, the sort of vertical relationship or proportions, mm. overall most of the characters are quite broad, but the stroke weights in the Roman face are relatively fine. So Gaudi Old Style is probably a good choice if you need to save space, as we have talked about <laughs> with a slab so of text. So many times. It won't look too dense on the page. Basically, it's your all-round American, like Tom Hanks. Mm. Not the young, okay. skinny, slightly adorable Tom Hanks of Big or Splash. The later Tom Hanks, after he began to pick up awards left, right and centre and became Hollywood's go-to guy for box office appeal and in everyman roles. More dad bod and jowly. Relatable, dependable. You know you're going to get a good performance from him, but does anyone really get excited about the prospect of a new Tom Hanks film? No, not really. And that last movie on his Apple TV, that looks terrible. That Whatever that movie was. I just looked at it yeah, and right. I, not even for Tom Hanks. I've got yep. a theory that Ryan Reynolds is the new Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Ryan Reynolds. But with better yeah, abs. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> with much better abs and better biceps. Anyway, I digress. But 
Yeah. I'm going to go another way in my anthropomorphizing. Did I say that right? Yep. It doesn't matter. Gaudi. Yeah. Heath yep. Ledger in that terrible medieval movie. What was it called? Knight's Tale? It's yes. medieval. Yes. But it's not. <laughs> like, it's supposed to be old fashioned and hark back to the Renaissance, but it's not. Yes. And, no, and like, the girl's no. hair in it is just so mid 90s, it almost gives me a headache. And it's, it's got an unwanted <laughs> restlessness type of energy. <laughs> It's like the jousting scenes were set to Queen's We Will Rock You. We Will Rock You, you yes, know. absolutely. <laughs> Which, I mean, enjoy it for what it is. It's postmodern, it's a yes. prestige. But, like, it's yeah. just, yeah, anyway, I'm just going to say, Gally, though, not as good looking as Heath. What a loss. No, no. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. We could talk about <sighs> actors for a while. Let's talk about what sort of relationship designers should or shouldn't have with this typeface. I mean, ignoring our bias, if we can, Jason, <laughs> what's your advice? Well, can I just say, tertiary institutions love Gaudi old style. It's the corporate typeface of universities from all over the US. Yeah, I think there's something really fitting that Oxford University Press used Gaudi. That they did start in 1498, and yeah. it looks like it was designed in the olden days again, but not. Yeah, deliberately um, so. Right? And look, back again, because like when I when I read that you wrote that, I was like, oh, interesting. Let me look that up. Right? I went. This yep. is how I found the dodgily titled HoWorld.co website. How's this for symmetry when it comes to Gaudi and university right. corporate typefaces? Okay, so I'm just going to quote from the website here. William T. LeMay, a curator at Syracuse University, discovered two sets of matrices, so they're the metal moulds, right, and the yep. associated paperwork in Syracuse University Library's archives for a font known as Sherman, which the publisher Frederick Fairchild Sherman had commissioned from Gaudi in 1910. So, you know, it's not just typographers who wow. name their typefaces yep. after themselves, right? So LeMay published an article about this discovery in 2013, explaining how in the 1960s, Sherman's niece had bequeathed the font to Syracuse University because she was aware of Gaudi's connection to the university. And indeed, oh. in 1934, Syracuse University had awarded Gaudi an honorary degree and from the journalism yep. school, a typographic medal for excellence. <laughs> And recently, Sorry. Syracuse University adopted and digitised this Sherman typeface and it's now using it for official publication. It's called Sherman Serif Book and it's a proprietary font for Syracuse University. So not yeah. only Gaudi, I mean, a bit off piece there, but not only Gaudi, but like Gaudi seems to be like the, the designer for university, you know, yeah. branding. Absolutely. Except if you're a large university where you might have chosen Helvetica <laughs> New. And slash anyway. Ariel because you can't be bothered distributing it to all your... It's just a theoretical employees. example, purely yeah. theoretical. All right, but lest you think only dry academics appreciate Gaudi old style, intriguingly, Simon Garfield suggests that the Beatles band insignia drew inspiration mm. from the typeface. I confess I can't see it myself, but there you go. I think maybe on that big B, I think there's an unwanted restlessness to it. <laughs> well... I can't yeah, tell you, possibly. I think I've mentioned this before, how much my eldest child dislikes the Beatles and I find his disdain very amusing. So I'm, <laughs> I'm here for his pylon of the boomers. But right. I have to say it's another reason I think that you can add to that pile. Like that if the Beatles did use Gaudi as a basis for their type, their, their little brand yeah. insignia, yuck, that's all. Yeah. The American apparel company J. Crew used it in their company logo. Get the hell out of here, no way. I should have noticed yeah. that. That W is very distinctive. The W with the little crossing over middle bits. What's that yes. called, yep. Jason? I don't know. But if any of our listeners know, please educate us. And Gaudi Old Style has even had its Hollywood moments. Ripley Scott combined it with the typeface impact for the opening credits of his sci-fi noir classic Blade Runner. Wow, that's quite a contrast, isn't it? I actually love that yeah. Blade Runner logo. It's so NASA logo gone wrong meets Logan's Run. You know, it's it's great. Look it up if yep. you've forgotten what it looks like. And for all our Australian listeners, Gaudi Sands Bold Italic is used for the famous Australian ice cream treat, the caramelly delicious, and yes, they really did name it that, Golden Gay Time. It's real, international <laughs> listeners. Look it up. Jason, as one of the gays, do with that what you will. Right, okay. I'm just going <laughs> to... Never actually been a fan of the golden gay time <laughs> either the ice cream or no. in any other context but anyway 
Look, it's a typeface that has also appeared in a lot of advertising copy and packaging, enjoying a heyday in the 1970s and 80s particularly, which is actually fitting when you Mm. think of Fred Gowdy's advertising roots. But, you know, looking at those old magazine and newspaper ads, it struck me that Gowdy old style suited that period. When the higher the hair meant the closer you were to God or an unbuttoned (laughs) shirt on a man in an ad meant a hairy chest. So maybe part of the problem for me is that Gowdy old style looks dated. Some serif Mm. typefaces are timeless, but Gowdy old style feels like it belongs to a particular period. Really does. And that's probably partly why we used to hate using it. Like... Yeah, you know what? I think that's partly why we used to hate using it. We were at OUP in, what, 1996? I mean, that's practically the year 2000. It was modern times. (laughs) Modern times. Why are we still using this? Yeah. Exactly. Hilarious. Yeah. Okay, now for our final section, kiss, date, kill or marry, where we talk about why we would want to be with this typeface or not. Is this typeface a one-time thing? Do you just go out with it occasionally? Do you never use it? Do you use it so much you worry about yourself? This is going to be interesting. Fess up, Jason. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess courtesy of our OUP experience, you and I both had the Mm. equivalent of an arranged marriage with Gaudi Old Style. (laughs) I mean, separately, I hasten to add. No bigamy here. And then a quickie divorce (laughs) in tandem with clearing out our respective desks. I've never experienced couples counselling, but presenting this episode has helped me make a bit of peace with Gaudi old style, I guess. I can safely say I haven't used it since leaving OUP, and I doubt Mm -hmm. that I'll feel the need to use it in the future. I mean, the name will always have that association for me, and with it, a tick-inducing reaction. I mean, it actually came up in conversation only a few weeks back, and I'm sure I felt my right (laughs) eyelid start to twitch. But at least now... I can make a distinction between Gaudi the man and Gaudi the typeface. So fewer hard feelings in that regard. Uh-huh. We're both free to move on with our lives as it were. No, Jason, I'm not over it. I choose kill. Ooh. <laughs> and as I was studying the top and bottom of the serifs again, I was remembering how much I hated that jaunty little curve, as I talked about. <laughs> and I was just right back there at OUP sitting and staring at that curve and thinking, Fuck you, Gaudi old style. Why? Why? You know, and you know. We need to go back and you know put a language really warning on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we really, really have to. You know what's really annoying? It's like, it's yep, actually a pretty me. nice typeface. I mean, objectively, it's actually pretty right. good looking. Like when you just look at it and try to take your feelings out, which I, I did. And, but I, I still have the same loathing for it now that I feel when I look at pictures of my ex-boyfriend, you know? It was like when I Googled him a while back and he still looked good. And I mean, he's aged well, the bastard. At 50, it's not fair. And when I tried to get Inga to back me up that he hasn't aged well, she wouldn't even pretend for me. So anyway, stop being good looking, Gowdy. I hate you. Okay. Well, there you go. On that note. <laughs> I just made I everything think awkward. Just made everything very awkward. <laughs> I, don't yeah. I don't know where we end from there. I don't know. And for a moment no. I was thinking, which boyfriend? And then I remembered, I'm like, yeah, those cheekbones don't quit. <laughs> yeah, look, hey. Sorry. Stop it. All right. <laughs> You're my sister. Right. You're supposed to say Gowdy's not good. I mean, anyway, oh, it doesn't Gowdy's, matter. Gowdy's, he's no good for you. He's no good for yeah, you. Yeah, that's okay. right. He never treated Car- you right. Carry on. Never was. No on. On. I think the <laughs> listeners would like us to stop now, Probably. <laughs> probably. Probably. Thank you for listening, especially to our feelings. And these are just our feelings and feelings are not you. You know, we have feelings and opinions about typefaces. We're totally interested in yours. You can email us on the address in the show notes or leave a review on Apple Podcasts where you can rate us and make the pod easier to find. If you want to join us with a question or opinion, a great way to do that is to record it via our SpeakPipe page. My SpeakPipe page. So ah. it's www.speakpipe, all one word, .com forward slash thesis whisperer. Ah, thank you for that, producer. See, she does whip us into shape. Jason, yep. we've heard for some people. We've heard from Whoa, people. Woo-hoo. Woo! We've heard. Um, we have an our audience. Friends de- <laughs> we have an audience. People are out there. Our <laughs> friends Deb and Nick both messaged me to tell me that they like the pod. 
and emphasize yeah. this was not because they were my friends, which I really appreciated. <laughs> High praise. They're both people of extraordinary yep. taste. Deb in particular texted me a couple of times to prompt me for more episodes and sorry about the wait, but thanks for the support. That means a lot. Siobhan emailed me from the form on my Natureland website where the podcast currently resides in website form and told me that she liked the pod. So thanks, Siobhan. And she told me that I had a problematic link. So thanks very much for that. <laughs> and then she told me how she'd recently attended a lecture where they said the Times New Roman can get you a whole grade more for your thesis. And what? I believe that. She told me no. She told me that this lecture, they described Times New Roman, and this is great, as a dead white man's font. And it totally is. And I'm totally stealing that, Siobhan. I think it's great. Stanley Morrison once said that type design moves at the pace of our most conservative reader. So there's that. For real, we need to do that uni tour, Jason, that we're talking about. So good luck with the thesis, Siobhan. And you will like the Times New Roman episode. I hope that you've you've listened to it by now. Um, Yes. And so thanks again for, for getting in touch. And we have a five star rating on Apple Podcasts from someone we don't know. Jason. Oh, wow. A real person. Someone real saw person. Kate Aaron and she said that she really enjoyed the first podcast, Epps. She loves the nerdy typeface discussions. She's keen to hear about yep. other typefaces we might consider. The format was great. Content great. Loved the background on the developers and all their dirty laundry. We love the dirty laundry too. And that she, <laughs> really I thought she tells us that she uses the dreaded <laughs> Times New Roman when writing academic papers because it puts me in the mindset for that type of writing and I would never use it for more personal work. Yeah. Good, oh, good yes, point. we'll never use I, it. I, and then she's thinking she might use Ariel, though she doesn't much like it for an next grant. But, you know, okay. Ariel, as we've well, discussed, yeah. We have covered it's, it's a there, bit of Ariel in this episode. So. Yes, that's right. So thanks, Kate, Erin, and sorry we disappeared for a bit. We'll promise not to do that again. Um, can we suggest Baskerville for your next grant application? We'll explain <laughs> yes, why yes. in the Baskerville um, episode, which was released before this one. And we love, love, love hearing from you. Even more now yes. we have heard from you. So thank you. Where can you find you, Jason? You can email me at designsleuth at yahoo.com. And I'm at Anitra Not on all the things and anitraland.com where you'll find the um, page for this uh, type pod as well. Our producer is Inga and she's at at Thesis Whisperer on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thanks for your company.